Quantum Conversations, your portal to the inner realms. Access infinite possibilities, infinite mastery, and infinite love. Mind-expanding, heart-opening conversations with some of the greatest spiritual teachers, luminaries, and healers of today's world. Usher in new earth by living in your sacred heart. Quantum Conversations is brought to you by AcousticHealth.com, home of music from the universe, online healing retreats, and this program. Claim your free registration to daily shows at AcousticHealth.com. AcousticHealth.com, your portal to the inner realms. Our program starts shortly. Welcome to another Quantum Conversation, brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and I invite you to sit back as we enter the Quantum Realm, that space of the greater part of you. It is your connection to infinite possibilities, infinite potential, and infinite mastery. We are exploring the shape of thought and emotion and how they are converted into frequencies, frequencies that can heal and offer wellness, wholeness. My guest today is a scientific researcher. He is also a mathematician and he creates frequencies and sound. Let's meet Don Adams. Don, thank you and welcome to the show. Great to be here. Um, happy to meet you. Happy to meet you too. This is a fascinating subject with sound and how it comes from multi-dimensions. And you are working with this on this physical realm, exploring it in your research and creating frequencies. So let's start with what the background is of this. How did this come to you? <clears throat> sure. Um, I was involved <clears throat> uh, for a number of decades with uh, uh, underground uh, research groups. Um, uh, I was working uh, professionally for companies in the States. Uh, I'm Canadian, but I often worked um, on contract uh, for firms like Microsoft and Coke in Wichita. Um, and so uh at a very young age, I got <clears throat> involved <clears throat> with some alternative science groups. Uh, and this goes back to the um, 80s. Had a chance to get to know and, and work with and collaborate, um, starting off as a junior, uh, with people like uh, Jerry Decker, uh, who ran the old KeeleyNet uh, BBS. And so uh, one of the things that would happen for us is um, uh, we would often get exposed to emerging in exotic alternative technologies. These people were mostly engineers. Uh, some of them were like uh, world-renowned scientists. And this was a meeting hub that they would get together and just sort of, you know, have coffee talk. Uh, during that time, <clears throat> I was first exposed to Royal Rife. And so uh, Rife was an optical scientist that um, pioneered the use of electromagnetic wave phenomena uh, for the... Uh, destruction of pathogenic microorganisms and his basic premise was just that um, 
you know, uh, microorganisms that were disease causing um, would have a resonant frequency and that um, if the resonant frequency could be determined, then bombarding them uh, with that frequency would elicit, um, uh, you know, something akin to apoptosis, so cell death. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and so I worked, uh, you know, exploring the different resources that they were providing based on his research. And one of the things that occurred to me as I moved through the circles of that community and other similar communities was that, uh, it was a really viable technology, which, um, has now been adapted and adopted by a lot of large mainstream, uh, uh, companies, although he was heavily persecuted for some time. Uh, but one of the things that had not ever been addressed was, um, could this technology be evolved, modified, and adapted towards engineering um, states uh, relating to consciousness, emotions, thought, and mood? And um, so I began to investigate that uh, and, um, uh, you know, was supported along the way in doing it. And um, uh, so a lot of the frequency work that I do uh, you know, evolved from that sort of domain. Uh, but then we, we grew into being able to, uh, manipulate, you know, literally the shapes of, um, of state. Yeah, that is very interesting and another indicator of the convergence of science moving into this realm of consciousness. So I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's fascinating and it, it's liberating because, <clears throat> you know, it, I, I think that, you know, it really puts us uh, in a more empowered position. You know, we're in the driver's seat so that now, uh, you know, we can really identify qualitatively and quantitatively, you know, what the states are inherently and how to reproduce them. And, you know, probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with, you know, um, really well-known uh, scientists like uh, Emoto Masaru and um, yes, and, sure. yes. And you, you know, Masaru's work is really seminal. Um, <clears throat> you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, some of the more critical ones are are not well known in the public domain. And and um, you know, one of the tasks I've had is is to take cross-disciplinary approach, where uh, I try to integrate. Um, other findings so that we come to a synthesized uh, uh, holistic understanding. But to give an idea, um, one of the reasons that Masaru's work was and is so critical is because uh, he was actually involved in uh, a definitive approach towards how mental, emotional, and conscious states form uh, topologically. And, and, you know, one of the things that's really missing, um, there's a, f- a fellow that does great work with chymatics. Um, chymatics. Yes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so what, what, uh, one of the things that's been missing in chymatics, when Hans Jenny and Ernst Kladney pioneered that work, they were identifying what the material envelope and shape of, um, you know, tones and tonal qualities were. Um, and so it's really important to identify and catalog these. But, um, you know, uh, another thing that's equally as important, perhaps in some cases more, is, you know, what do they mean? How do we interpret them? Uh, it's one thing to identify the shape of a tone, but then to understand 
interpretively, you know, what information is actually associated with that shape and how it influences things like biology, that's critical. And that, that's the part that's been missing. Like I, uh, I've had a few discussions with John Reed uh, in the past, uh, who's made great inroads in furthering, uh, you know, uh, chymatics. He created the chymoscope, um, really excellent instrument. Um, but the area of focus I've been looking at is, you know, what do these shapes mean? And if you take a look at chymatics and you compare it to what people like Masaru were identifying, you know, you, you really see an overlap between, you know, water crystallization into standardized platonic filigree shapes and to what's being examined in dynamic uh, shaping forms uh, that we see in the chymoscope and chymatics. Yes, wouldn't that be fascinating? I mean, it does correlate, absolutely. Okay, so what do they mean, and how can we understand the shape of a of a tone? It, you know, it also brings to mind the Tibetans, and they make the beautiful mandalas. That's energy there as well. Isn't that interesting? I love your cross-disciplinary approach. I, I, I think you've raised actually a really important point. Um, and, you know, bringing up the example of, you know, the, the sand mandalas that the Tibetans uh, create, um, this, this really showcases how, you know, the natural world and, you know, sort of like, um, you know, universal absolutes that, that we can perceive partially in science come through intuitively. And, you know, some of the greatest breakthroughs in science where we understand natural law and principles um, have come uh, originally through an intuitive process. You know, as an example, you know, the benzene ring in chemistry was first discovered in a dream state. Mm-hmm. Um, when we take a look at the low shoe, um, you know, the kinds of Chinese ancient artifacts, um, you know, it's, it turned out that Kathy Walters discovered um, that there was a, a seminal link uh, between uh, some of these, you know, Chinese um, artifacts and genetics. Uh, if we take a look at the Tao symbol, where we've got the yin and the yang, um, you know, what's interesting is that this is actually derived um, from how the sun moves in relation to the earth cyclically over a year what they discovered is when they would post pegs, wooden pegs in the ground uh, in a certain structure, that as time passed, the literal physical shape of the yin and yang Tao symbol would form as shadow casts on the surface. And the way that the I Ching was itself derived, like the hexagrams themselves, was that you would have observers of the passage of time making note of what was happening communally and so it became like a like a standard association to this is the tempo of the individual and the collective. Here is the scene or the stage of the play set as the sun moves over the course of a year. So I think your example of the Tibetan mandala is spot on. Well, I think that is absolutely fascinating. I did not know that about the yin yang symbol and the movement of the sun over the earth. 
Okay, that's pretty cool. So yes, links between all of this. You are pushing this forward. It's incredible work. So how do you apply this knowledge? We have Masaro Emoto's work with the cymatics, or you call it chymatics. And when we begin to understand and see how it influenced biology, you're actually doing this by producing sounds. And we could call it music, but these are frequencies and tones. And we're going to listen to some of those. But how has this um, evolved into your music well, or frequencies? Sure. I mean, that, that's a really good question. You know, it's funny because I, I often get approached by uh, professional DJs that want to, um, <laughs> yeah. That'd be good, uh, though. Get no, it no, It is. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it's funny because it's a platform in venue that I never would have um, uh, imagined or considered. Uh, and you know, it's gratifying that it's uh, appreciated uh, by that venue. Wow, that uh, would be really called high vibe music. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it would. You know, the, the funny thing is what, what they're usually looking for is they want to, to induce a psychotropic. Um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. For like raves or something, for right. dance parties. Well, that's interesting. If it can induce a love state. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and of course, you know, it has application uh, towards that. And there are, we have DJs that are, they're pursuing and they're incorporating and examining. Um, okay. Interesting. But, but I mean, to your question, I mean, you know, um, what happens is that, uh, if you boil it right down, states are uh, patterns of information. That's what they are. And so the frequencies that I make, um, uh, you know, when I talk to someone who's a musician, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, your audience may be familiar with Gurdjieff and Wispensky. Gurdjieff um, was a esotericist who talked about something called objective music. And so, his argument was, and he demonstrated the veracity of this, that most musicians are only familiar with subjective music. Um, and he said that objective music is very different because subjective is something that's individually relative, but may not induce or elicit, you know, uh, a common response. It won't evoke uh, a response that has the same kind of, you know, uh, accurate tight envelope of experience, whereas objective music is very different. So, you know, examples of objective music would be, you know, we take a look at um, just as a, you know, as a story in the Bible where um, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho and they were instructed to, uh, you know, play a loud uh, sound at a certain tempo, at a certain rhythm, and then the walls of Jericho fell. And then, of course, we have the back to Tibet you know, the description of um, National Geographic decades ago going to observe a ceremony of Tibetan monks where they stood at the base of an enormous cliff. Uh, the monks formed a half circle with a special select group of instruments. And by playing uh, certain kinds of uh, sounds, um, the National Geographic reportedly uh, on film captured them levitating boulders straight up the cliff and then, you know, going up to the uh, other side of the cliff. So, wow. um, yeah. So, but now the thing is, I, I should point out that um, um, the frequencies I make 
can be played as sound, but because they're informational patterns, while a lot of people, including musicians, will say that they sound as though they have musical quality, like, you know, in some cases they might sound like a happy little tune. Um, the reality is that um, these are information patterns, interference patterns, and so they can be played as sound, uh, but they can also be played as a silent, varying magnetic field. And so one of the interests of the members on our groups have, they want to use these frequencies at work or they want to, they're going on a hike or they're going to the gym or they're going to go shopping and they want to benefit from the effects of the frequencies. So, you know, if you've got someone who's feeling down or depressed or whatever they're dealing with, you know, depending on the type of frequency track um, that they want to benefit from, they may not always be in a position where they can, um, you know, it's not like you can walk into the office and then crank the frequencies up and let them play through the whole office. And so one of the solutions that, that we've worked on and, and we've come to some really, uh, you know, powerful, meaningful solutions was, you know, providing members with a small portable device that would allow them um, to broadcast these frequencies quietly. And so the goal was to, um, can we construct a lightweight portable device that can emit the frequency as a bearing magnetic field to provide a canopy or a kind of a, you know, a bubble of enclosure of, you know, protection or regeneration within a certain radius, within a certain distance. And so one of the devices that we have is um, there's a few variations on it, but the idea is that, you know, we have a small media player and that media player has tracks on it. And then, you know, users will loop the tracks but then that little media player, which is, you know, it's, you know, the ones that are often used are like the little Sony Walkman style where it's like about an inch long. It's about, you know, you know, a, you know, or maybe two inches long and maybe about an inch wide. And then the tracks are loaded digitally. And then from that little battery operated Walkman player, we often recommend uh, users uh, plug in. Um, it's a portable audio app. It's, it's made by a company called Boosteroo. And um, really low cost. I think it costs 23 bucks. It increases the signal output by about 200 times. No noise distortion. And so in that audio amp, then they they plug in coils. Uh, you know, there's other kinds of instruments that can be used, but these are uh, PEMF, like standard pulsed electromagnetic uh, frequency coils. And so what they basically look like is imagine you've got a, a standard pair of uh, headphones or earbuds that you would plug into a Walkman, but instead of earbuds at the end, what you have is something that looks like uh, little rubber hoops. And those little rubber hoops on the inside of those hoops are um, copper wire coils. And then all they do is they just, they pop it in their pocket and off they go, you know, or, or what they do is they strap it to like their arm or their leg, uh, you know, their torso um, and just use like a, like a tensor wrap or something. So that's super effective and it lets someone, you know, enjoy the benefits of the frequencies. Um, so you've got like an audible, when it's used audibly, um, we suggest a certain duration period and a certain uh, amplitude or magnitude. You know, if, if we're doing immersion, um, people often report some pretty unusual phenomena. We get reports of phenomena on our frequencies that, that is just not found in any other kind of sound therapy. And this is this is to the point of, We've had clinical studies on rapid uh, blood train state changes, where you know we've got blood reload. We, we've got actually photos on our website 
of you know, like a, within three hours, uh, a state of Rouleau is is, is dispersed. But, you know, you know, so um, yeah. Ah, well, that is fascinating. Okay, so we're going to listen to these frequencies. So you've got um, that's fascinating about the silent emitter. It's as if we are becoming a walking uh, frequency fields. Yeah. And it's not harmful, and it doesn't need to be limited. You said that they loop it, and nobody can hear it. It's not audible, but the frequencies are going out into the field and affecting others as well. What we find is with the hoop setup, it's got about a five-foot radius. And so now one thing I should say, too, is that it's always been understood from the get-go that, you know, this is an experimental protocol, you know, uh, based partially on things like right frequencies, so this is this technology, you know, members investigate and apply it. And then, you know, we have SCADs, like thousands of reports from across yeah. the planet. Um, but, but this is not FDA approved and it's not approved as a medical device. And it's meant, you know, purely uh, as, you know, experimental technology. Uh, yes. Okay. And one thing I should mention too, is that um, contraindications, uh, we have, like, we've uh, been documenting results from members since 2007. Good. Um, and uh, one of the things that we suggest, we don't have solid proof or evidence of this, but, um, you know, based on inference uh, and also just, you know, um, subjective observation and study, uh, would not typically recommend this te- uh, technology to someone who uh, is epileptic or suffers from migraines. Now, having said that, we have had users that have sometimes severe chronic migraines who have told us, but again, this should not be taken, you know, as anecdotal evidence. We're just saying that this is what we've been told, uh, that apparently it has benefited them, you know, people that were chronic migraine sufferers. But the reason that we don't suggest it for epilepsy is that for most frequencies, there is a stroboscopic quality to them because an information pattern is repeated until the body and mind become entrained to the information pattern. And by the way, that information pattern is derived uh, both from environmental and natural cues. And that's why a lot of times when people listen to them, it's like they may not, they may have never heard it before, but it seems familiar to them. And the reason that it seems familiar is because it's actually coinciding with informational patterns that would be naturally resident in certain states and situations within them. Okay, so informational patterns. Let's take a listen to a sample and get a real experience of what we're talking about here. This one is called Good Luck Evoker. Tell us a little bit about this before we hear it. Sure. So um, when people listen to this, it will sound like a very simplistic set of tones. Uh, and, you know, in most cases, people will feel kind of like an optimistic, kind of cheery type uh, feeling. Um, but they'll also, uh, most listeners will have a strong sense of familiarity. It's as though they've heard it before, but they haven't. And the reason for that is that it's literally a topological map of the state a person experiences when they feel lucky. A topological map of what a person feels like when they feel lucky. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back and talk about that, but let's listen.
very interesting. That was kind of interesting, the lower tones that come in. How do you make this frequency expression, this information, how does it come to you? All right, well, <clears throat> there's an example that I use often at conferences, places where I'm presenting or at uh, trade shows. And so um, the example is imagine that um, you have a piece of paper and that paper is it's wrapped up in a big roll. Um, and the paper is, say, four feet wide, and you take that paper roll, you put it on the floor, and you stretch it out, and so maybe you've got, you know, um, about 30 feet of a paper strip that's about three to four feet wide, and it's in front of you. Mm -hmm. So now you stand at the one end of it, and you take a little children's wooden toy block, like a little wooden, you know, cube, uh, and you take that cube, and you dip it in an ink pad, so it's sopping with ink. Then you take that cube and you throw it in a trajectory, an arc, over the paper. And so what happens is when the cube lands on the paper, you know, it's, it's going to roll and toss and spin. So as the cube with the ink moves across the paper, uh, it may, in one instant, land on a side of the cube. And so there you have what's like a square imprint. And then as the cube is still moving in its trajectory, it leaves that flat surface and then it spins on an edge. So you see the cube, it's skidding as it's moving across the paper. So now you have a line. And then, you know, in another instant, the cube is rotating and the vertex or the corner of the cube imprints the paper. And so as the cube moves across the paper, it leaves a streak in shape. So when the cube comes to a rest and you let the ink dry, you look back at the travel path, and what you see is a bunch of odd shapes in a linear stretch. Now, if a person were to, if they were able to take that path, that path of, you know, abstract objects that the square had left, and they could peel the shape of, the, of that path up and then reassemble it, it might be, to, you know, a situation where a person could derive what kind of object it was. You know, like if you were to like unpeel or unwrap the dried ink shape, you know, it would be discernible to a person that, you know, there's a good chance that this is probably a cube. So what happens is when we experience emotions or mental states or physical states, you know, the physical states of harmony or disharmony, um, these have shapes to them. Uh, sometimes these shapes are three-dimensional. Uh, often they're more than that. But what happens is, is that the mind and, you know, the emotional body uh, naturally associates a geometric form to different states. So when it's presented with a geometric form that corresponds to a given state, it recognizes it. So when you listen to Good Luck Evoker, Every single tone that you hear actually is a facet or a component of the object that represents the state moving through time. So when you hear like a low tone, what, what's actually happening here is that low tone represents part of the structure of the object. When you hear a high tone, you know, so we, we could theoretically say that, okay, so when the cube is moving, you know, the flat 
square surface of the cube might be a low tone. When the cube is moving and it's the edge of the cube on the paper, that might be a high tone. And so when the vertex of the corner of the cube imprints the paper, this might be a median tone. Now, I'm just giving these as examples because in most cases, the objects, the geometric uh, sort of hyperdimensional objects that represent the states themselves are complex. And so when you listen to the frequencies that I make, in some frequencies, there will be, as you know, thousands of different tones. And when I design the tones, we design the tones <clears throat> to a decimal uh, precision accuracy past the floating point to nine positions. So it's extremely precise. When they're rendered, the rendering is within about three positions. Um, and the interesting thing is I've never released the full potency frequencies to the public domain. All of the frequencies released that have elicited the profound effects that people have witnessed over the years, um, these have been intentionally diluted in potency, and yet they still have extremely powerful effects. That's a lot what you just said there. Very fascinating. All right, so there is a geometric hyperdimensional object that represents the state. Right. And these are mental, emotional states. Yeah, and also we see correlations with physical state. Like one of the things that we had done is we had examined um, changes in biology. Um, when, when a person's going through, let's say, distress or a positive state, um, you'll get um, biological markers, uh, affectations that can be measured. So as an example, um, you'll get thermal changes across the skin. You'll get uh, galvanic uh, skin response uh, changes, you know, variances in millivolts. Um, and so uh, a lot of times uh, markers of that topology can be uh, viewed directly. There's a story in ancient Greece. Um, in some ways, the ancient Greece, uh, Grecians were more advanced in diagnostics in certain ways than we were today. A common practice that they used was if a doctor had a patient come in, they'd have a flat granite stone table. And on that stone table, they would spread a thin film of wet clay. And they would ask the person to lie down on the wet clay. So after a certain period of time, they would ask the person to get up and the doctor would let the clay dry. But what he would find was that the differential in what spots dried faster than others gave him a thermal scan of heat changes occurring regionally within the anatomy of the person. And so this becomes a, a rudimentary primitive topological map of what's going on inside that person geometrically. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, that yeah. is beautiful that you are so adept at this. Again, you're cross-disciplinary, and you're, you're coming up with these models that represent the geometry. Right. When we listen to another one here, let's talk about other ways to use these frequencies. We did just do the good luck evoker. What was the way that you came up with the geometric object, hyperdimensional object of that? It, there's quite a, a lengthy story with... Um, um, a lot of complexity and techniques associated with it. But mm -hmm. the way it began was um, uh, I had started off 
uh, working on a math model um, that was meant to uh, forecast certain kinds of changes in individuals and collectives uh, insofar as, you know, their behavior impulses went. Mm. And there's, there's a long story behind that, but <clears throat> what I found was um, uh, the data that I was modeling and, and this, this was a, a new, um, you had a number of components. One of the components was numeric series. And so the, the idea was to apply a certain type of stochastic analysis, analysis in numeric series um, that would uh, model changes in behavior over time. And uh, what happened was um, uh, I was talking with a, a fellow that I know he was the owner. Uh, I know he was a friend of mine. He was the owner of um, a, a health food uh, store franchise. And I'd come back um, uh, from some travels. He wanted me to come over uh, for Christmas dinner. And so we were sitting there with, uh, after dinner with a glass of wine. He asked me how things were going. And so I told him. And he said to me, he said, well, did you ever think of, um, instead of just using it as a forecasting tool, did you ever think of, you know, um, applying what you're researching towards evoking responses? And I, I had, you know, I had mildly thought of it, but it was never really at the time what I, what I just, that's just, that's just not what I was focusing on. And so I said to him, I said, yeah, you know, I, I, I guess that's probably doable. And so, um, uh, I thought about what he said and I was living in Victoria, BC at the time. And, um, so after I, my visits, uh, you know, I went back and, um, I, I had been suffering from chronic sore feet, uh, for a number of years. And I, you know, a uh, busy person didn't have time, you know, to fuss over it. It was just an inconvenience. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I was at my condo uh, one day and um, uh, I was doing laundry. It was midday and I was uh, was reading a book. I had the fireplace going. Uh, I, I would go back and forth between dishes, laundry, reading the book on the mantle. And I was on my feet. And I, you know, my feet just started feeling sore. And I was just like, you know, I went to my uh, computer system and I sat down and I thought, okay, so what if instead of modeling, uh, you know, individual or collective behavior, what if I did like a numeric series, uh, you know, and I, I had a number of proprietary tools that I was using that would represent um, behavior and activities. Um, okay. and, and so so one of the things that we that can be done is that we'll use, uh, 2D, 3D, um, sort of dimensional numeric representations of an action. And so I thought, well, what if I were to just use this tool and this collection of tools that I was using to model my feet and then, you know, factor in the disharmony and then within the model, um, there's a process called phase conjugation uh, or phase yes. cancellation. Yeah. Okay. So I thought, well, what if I just phase cancel out the state of the sore feet and I model this numerically as a numeric series? And, and, and then the idea was to take that stream, that series, and then convert it. There's a process called sonification. Sonification is just when you take a data stream and you just convert it into, you know, audible tones. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I did that. And so... Um, I converted the data stream into um, 
you know, an audio playable format. And I, I stuck it on loop on a computer at the time with really low end speakers, so low quality speakers, but just was never much of an audio file. So it just didn't matter to me. And I just did it for a kick, you know, I just, just to see what would happen. And so I went back to my chores. I had it playing loud. Um, and you know, I was at home there were the neighbors in, I was living in a, uh, a nice, a nicer, um, you know, sort of, uh, how do I say, um, uh, close community at the time. <clears throat> and so, um, I was able to play aloud without being interrupted much. And, um, and so I let it play for about three hours, just looped. And, um, I, I, I'd almost forgotten that it was playing because I was just so involved with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then when I was standing next to the mantle at the fireplace reading, uh, I had a sudden, just sudden, very, very rapid, shocking sensation in my feet. Uh, it scared me. And I put the book down and I looked down and my, my, my feet were bare because I was just running around the condo. And what it felt like was imagine you took a tinfoil, a, piece, a big piece of tinfoil and you crumpled it up into a ball and then you let go of it and then the foil starts to uncrumple. Mm-hmm. So it felt physically like that kind of sensation in the center of my feet, but also as though somebody had injected my feet with um, some kind of like a, like Vicks vapor rub, like a heating sensation. So it was like a burning heating sensation, not painful, but very intense. Mm-hmm. And I, then I suddenly asked this was, and it was so intense. It was, it was almost like my feet felt sunburned intensely, not painful, but just like, and I suddenly realized, geez, uh, those frequencies have been playing. And, and I, I got a little bit scared and I ran into my room <laughs> and I, I unplugged the speakers and, uh, I was kind of, you know, uh, thinking like, am I, did I just screw myself? Like, am, am I in trouble? Like, is this going to, like, what, what does this mean? Um, and I thought, well, I, do I call the doctor? Do, do I make an appointment at the clinic? Um, and, I, and I thought, well, if I do, if I go down, what am I going to tell them? Yeah. You know, like, it's like I made these sounds on my computer and then this happened, you know. Uh, but then what I, <clears throat> I realized, I thought they would, they would just think I was a nutter. So uh, I... Stayed in the condo and after about, I think at, at the time it was maybe, maybe 20, 30 minutes past, the sensation went away and my, my feet felt amazing. And um, the chronic problem that I had had, uh, it was permanently gone. It never came back. Interesting. So it's interesting where the mind went in that process and just as you waited it out to experience that it's, it left. Yeah. Well, my initial response was panic. Yeah. You know, uh, but sure. Yeah. After the panic subsided, so then it was, uh, it felt like a, like a surprising delirium, almost like, a, like I can't believe this is happening. Wow. And this from your own experience and that became your truth. And then from there it evolved. It's very fascinating because listening to you explain the numeric series or the numeric representation of an action that you had access to this information, 
it reminds me of music from the universe on my website, which was my father's work. He was a computer music researcher, and he was responsible for, I guess, the digitization of music, creating computer music on a software platform. He uh, made the music with mathematical algorithms, so you you know listening to you speak you're speaking at that level where you know you have that and you applied it you sonified it you converted it into tones so that's really interesting but in this case you're actually using models of actual actions we we did that for me when this was happening i i needed to know for my own sense of clarity, being you know having a science background, I needed to know if this was some kind of a psychosomatic only uh, influence. I, I just I needed to understand what had happened, and so I actually had contacted a bunch of online uh, communities that were involved with things like right frequency work, and I, I said to them uh, straight up, uh, "Listen, I had a weird experience. Uh, it's kind of freaked me out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd be willing to share." some of this stuff that I've done for free. Uh, I didn't tell them, you know, what it was, you know, or what they could expect. Uh, I said, you know, I told them, I said, I don't want to tell you what to expect. Um, it's experimental. I'd love your feedback. You know, tell me, tell me what you think has happened. Uh, and, you know, my thought at the time was if I get objective feedback, mm. uh, because this is really kind of like a, like a, you know, a first run hit, at a, doing, you know, a double blind type test, right? So, so about 40 people jumped up and they said, sure, we'll try it out. And I didn't hear anything back from them for a number of days. Um, and when I did hear back, they were all completely freaked out. They were, they were mostly excited. And they were saying like, they were thrilled, yeah, amazed, yeah, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that good kind of freak out, like, wow, what is this? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, on the flip side, they could they could be used to harm, but not really, because this is phase conjugation, right? This was cancellation. It's like what they what we know with sound, and some communities in our neighborhood use this phase cancellation to quiet traffic. They record the traffic, they record the volume of the traffic, and they phase cancel it. So it actually reduces the sound of the traffic. Right. I should clarify something, too. The, the very first track that I made, um, it actually incorporated a few different aspects. So one of the aspects was a phase cancellation mode, but the other one was uh, superimposition or superposition. And so the idea was modeling the feet in a, a healthy, you know, balanced state. So the idea, the idea was to... If if my feet feeling ill at ease or in pain uh, could be represented by a noise distortion, then what happens if I superimpose something that would, um, you know, get rid of the noise distortion, not just through a cancellation, but through the imposition of a representation of the feet in a harmonious state? And what I found was that... Um, that was really a big key to success. And that was um, how do we represent, you know, the ideal model state 
and then superimpose that. Phase cancellation is, is, is very helpful if we want to neutralize. Um, it's not super helpful if we want to um, create a, a preferred or desired state, because all it does is it just levels out an existing one. You know, like with wave interference, we have constructive and destructive interference. And so destructive interference is phase cancellation. Constructive interference is when we have, you know, two or more waves that hybridize and then produce a more resilient um, sort of child, you know, offspring wave. And so one of the things that we began to experiment and examine uh, was um, there's an interstitial boundary that occurs. And this, this is really a big key of the work that I do. Uh, within consciousness in the body, that interstitial state is the internal domain. Uh, of the organism, um, it's the boundary between that and then external uh, radiational uh, natural systemic rhythms. And so, uh, you know, there's a really good book called The Secret Life of Plants, and they talk about a scientist in there who had been using a biological antenna array. So he had a he had a, a, a cube. Uh, with a gelatinous biomass, living biomass on the inside of the cube. And he was using that uh, in connection with a radio telescope. He wanted to see if he could detect um, wave radiation from space that would correspond to the wavelength of the biomass. And it turns out that he did. Not only did he, but some of his findings were just uh, really profound and bizarre but uh, his approach was so successful that in many of the large uh, observatories across the planet, they've actually now purchased and house his device within their uh, large-scale radio satellites. And so one of the things that I did is I, you know, I have a number of proprietary tools and methods that I use, but one of the things that I did is I created my own uh, specialized exotic version of a biological antenna array so that we could detect signals analogous to impulses from space that would correspond to influences that we would naturally recognize. So as an example, uh, when, you know, uh, when stellar influences affect behavior, what's usually happening is that there's a modulation of pulse and rhythm through things that are gravitational and magnetic in nature. So these types of vectors will affect an organism's behavior. So when you have a full moon, the pressure density and the rapidity of cerebral spinal fluid will change. So the actual uh, rhythm pulse, like the cycle, the oscillation of the fluid flow up and down the spine will dramatically change, you know, you know velocity, you know, uh, rate-wise. But the pressure density on the fluid that's in the spine will also change. So if you know, you can imagine if you wanted to see someone's mood change or their behavior impulse change, and you were to apply compression to you know the fluid, you know the actual you know pressure, like the pounds per square inch type idea. You know, so how much pressure is that fluid under in their spine, and how fast is it cycling back and forth? You can cause some pretty rapid changes in their mood behavior you know, the biasing of emotions and thoughts. And so when we look at natural background rhythms that are being modulated, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> by these environmental factors, and we take this as an external canvas of influence, 
And then we take a look at what's going on within the organism biologically. That interstitial boundary that occurs between the outside radiations and the internal uh, cycles, this becomes much of the canvas of conscious experience. So like a really good, a really good analogy is imagine that you're in a gymnasium and the lights are off and you're sitting in a chair and in front of you is a large white film projection screen. So on the projection screen in front of you, there's a film projector broadcasting an image. So it'd be like watching a movie in a theater. But now imagine that behind that film screen is another projector and it's broadcasting a different image. Now imagine that that film screen is translucent, not opaque. You have two film projectors broadcasting on the same surface from either end. So one's playing one movie, the other's playing a different movie. They meet at the surface of the translucent screen. What you see then are two uh, broadcast images from two film projectors merging into this sort of singularity, this, this merging, changing, converging, diverging imagery on the translucent screen. So that screen, that translucent screen, is like the frame of experience a person has at a point in time space. So the projector in the front is what's going on inside of you, like, in other words, the cycles that are driven internally. And then on the other side are the rhythms coming at you. And then what you're, you know, what you're having the bias influence, you know, the, the drivers is the, you know, the terrain. Um, you know, when you're looking out the window of a moving car, that's the flat of the screen. And so the way that my frequencies work is that most of them combine a representation of the internal state and the external state so that when the body is exposed to it through resonant entrainment, it recognizes that kind of experience qualitatively. And when we adjust things like the volume, then we can actually, you know, when you want to, if you superimpose uh, information signal, um, then the potency of that signal will increase by amplitude. It's the same thing, but there's this, there's this uh, a concept in frequency uh, research. It's just called, you know, um, dominance theory. So, if you, for instance, if you went to a concert and you didn't like the music and it was really disturbing, uh, your body and your mind would be affected by that. But if you had a small Walkman and you had, you know, music or something that you enjoyed and you took the, the headphones out and you put them in your ears and you cranked the volume up on your Walkman, even though you're surrounded by this noise, your brain, you know, the, the actual brain cells themselves would lock onto the signal coming out of your headphones because of the dominance theory, because of the proximity of the signal and the amplitude that's closest to you. Okay, you are really educating us on the real science behind this. It's almost as if it's like the science of astrology. When you're talking about the moon and the cosmic influence, it brings to mind as above, so below. The sage wisdom. You're working with these frequencies. You're working with the, the numeric models, the representations of this. It's, it's just fascinating. <clears throat> One of the things that was really bizarre to me is that 
I had always been very skeptical of astrology. And, and, you know, my personal take is I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of fiction and a lot of anthropomorphizing that happens in astrology. But I think that astrology as a practice um, has not gotten fair press for a long time because uh, I took a serious look into it. And uh, what I discovered is that without question, um, and there's there is so much ample evidence, like scientific evidence, from so many different groups, individuals, institutes, that clearly point to nominal, real physical change occurring due to, you know, stellar background influences, not least of which is there was an interesting report that had come out. This is documented on, on our website where uh, hard angular aspects between planets like the Mer- like Mercury and, and Mars were actually found. This is mainstream science. You know, th- this is one of the best arguments that astrologers can use when they're arguing against a skeptic. And sadly, most of them haven't heard of this or they're not aware of it. Hmm. But back around the 1950s, um, it was a large company. I think it was like AT&T. Um, they kept having power blackouts across the continental U.S. So that they're, 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 you know, you had cables that were buried underground um, and they would just have these cycling brownouts and blackouts and they couldn't figure out what it was. <clears throat> so they brought in an engineer. It took him a year to study it and he couldn't find what the problem was until he began to realize that there was a, an exact correlation to the time of when the blackouts occurred and their duration and to when there was hard angular aspects going on specifically with Mercury and Mars. And he postulated that there was a sheer wave front that was coming in. Some kind of stellar radiation that they hadn't examined previously was causing an interrupt. So they devised a shielding for this and the blackouts stopped. Now um, you think mm-hmm. about this, if, if, if the human body, if our biology you know, if our fragile water-based biology uh, is, you know, more sensitive than hard, you know, like like physical hardware, like, you know, wires and cables buried deep underground, if those stellar influences can knock out hardware buried under the earth, what are they doing to our bodies? Yes, and this is why understanding, right, whether it's Vedic astrology or normal mainstream astrology it's interesting to see that so what i find fascinating is that you've looked into it yourself and you're like without question there's clearly stellar influence on our behavior and and our bodies as well and so when we were preparing for this show you were checking into the perfect timing so what do you use to understand your own timing <clears throat> There's a couple of really good um, resources. There's a document that describes um, astral biology. And um, then there's another one that has to do with, um, you know, chaos theory uh, and its connection to astrology. There, there's a number of candidates that have been proposed as to how and why astrology generally may function. Um, and what I've done is I've surveyed a lot of them. The, there's a couple that really stand out. So um, there's uh, changes in magnetism, um, both on the Earth and in the atmosphere. There's also uh, small changes in gravitational, so 
uh, you know, fluctuation in background gravitational fields. There's another one that, that's, um, I believe it's uh, called the Leiden effect. And this has to do um, also with the gravitational, um, uh, you know, fluctuation, but it has to do with extremely small variance uh, between the planets. Now, uh, we also have a table that shows, you know, people have heard that, uh, for instance, the moon and the tides change, uh, like the, we see uh, differentials in tidal force in relation to moon position. Uh, and so there's a table on that page um, that discusses the um, the actual weights uh, of the changes of gravity on biology itself. Um, the London dispersion force, uh, that's the one that I was thinking of. Uh, and so this is a weak intermolecular force. Uh, I'm just reading this off the wiki description. Arising from quantum-induced instantaneous polarization of multipoles and molecules. Uh, they can therefore act between molecules without permanent multipole moments. Now, the idea basically is um, that when you have a weak uh, force arising from the changing in planetary positions, that this can propagate. Now, one thing, too, that that, that is often not discussed is that, you know, um, <clears throat> there's a really interesting article um, that came out of, uh, about the infrared footprint that's associated um, with, you know, biological expression. You know, so um, when we take a look at uh, John Reed's description of how sound propagates, you know, and, and he's correct in his description, and he does a good job describing it, where, um, you know, if, if you are singing or you express something, it comes out as a sphere, like a little bubble. This is what it actually looks like. You know, a lot of times when we think of frequencies, we think of a 2D graph of a square or sinusoidal waveform. This is only the graph of the wave. The actual structure of the wave, uh, especially if it's a sound wave, is spherical. And, and so, um, you know, sound dissipates uh, in accordance with the inverse square law over time. But the the infrared footprint doesn't. So that means that biological expression, um, the infrared um, you know, si uh, signaling information associated with that, <clears throat> it propagates a very long distance. You know, so um, when we take a look at, you know, um, the, when an astrologer, you know, describes how aspects forming between planetary body, uh, bodies may have a certain affectation, you know, we can go into like a lexicon and, you know, oh, okay, well, well what happens if, if Mars squares Saturn? You know, what does that mean? And then they take a look at things like signs and houses. And there's a lot of arguments against astrology where they talk about, you know, um, well, hasn't the star, haven't the stars changed over time? Isn't there like a 13th sign, all the stuff? But the basic archetypal premise is about associating behavioral characteristics with these very large masses as having certain meaning that's been observed over time. And so, um, you know, in the, with our frequencies, especially in, in that one clinic example, what we found was that when we modeled both internal um, states and, and some representational external influences, such as stellar aspects, um, what we found was that there had to have been uh, an enormous change 
than the magnetic signature, like the magnetic field strength of the blood cells themselves. Very cool that, yes, the movement of cosmic bodies and stellar radiation, yes, does affect us. Okay. Well, there's one other example of, I would sure. encourage your uh, uh, listeners to check out. And, and this, this is just hardcore evidence, and it's easy to watch. A fellow Canadian, <clears throat> it's a, he's a neuroscientist at Laurentian University. His name is Michael Persinger. Um, he uploaded a lecture to YouTube, and it is called um, No More Secrets. Mm. And so <clears throat> what he talks about in there is the relationship of the magnetosphere, so that canopy, that atmospheric canopy around our planet, and individual brains, an individual mind experience. So one of the things that happens is that when the magnetosphere, the atmospheric canopy of our planet is modulated, uh, and this can be modulated by, like, you know, cosmic particles, cosmic winds, mm-hmm. uh, any kinds of external stellar influences or changes, gravitational changes, mm-hmm. that whatever is happening in the Earth's atmosphere will have a direct effect on individual and collective humanity uh, to, the, to the degree of causing changes in things like stock market, you know, uh, pricing and timing. Very interesting. Okay, so I know in this community, we're feeling that this is getting stronger, right? The sun is changing. Are you on top of any new information with the change in the cosmos right now? Uh, I, I try to stay abreast of things that are important in developments uh, on a regular basis. Um, uh, you know, Solar flares, for example. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> there's been a disturbance uh, in the heliosphere envelope over the last number of years. Um, uh, there's been changes uh, in its size, and that's been alarming um, scientists. Uh, I've heard through the grapevine around April 9th that uh, there may be uh, a good uh, bombardment, like a you know coronal mass ejection CME coming in. Very good chance of uh, heightened activity, like over the next couple of years for sure. <coughs> One of the things um, that's often not discussed, but it's pretty important. Um, you know, we know that there are regular cycles. We have like an 11-year solar cycle and other solar cycles. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that can happen is that although they're very small in relation to the, the mass of the sun, the actual position of the planets themselves, especially the larger planets, in relation to the sun can have a, a kind of modulating effect on solar activity. So what you see... Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is, it is really super interesting. You know, like here we are, we're in this dynamic, you know, cycling system. And, um, it really is, uh, uh, something that can be correlated to human behavior and experience. Again, when we think of eclipses and the power and the transition of the collective humanity through those times, this is all, again, being cross-examined. Yeah. And right now, we are in a Mercury retrograde. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like a Mercury retrograde when we're not even in a Mercury retrograde. Sure. And and this is kind of what you're talking about here. It's this outside influence. So as above, so below. Yeah. 
Right. So if there's something that's causing us to experience a behavior, what is your take on that? Is it uh, something coming up from us to be transformed? I, I think it's a good question, and I think that there's a few different things going on. One is that uh, we can really uh, uh, view elements of astrology as being a kind of a clock. And so, you know, um, there's arguments to be made from different sides. Uh, I've, I've heard the argument that, well, is it possible that human beings themselves might actually be causing, you know, through some kind of quantum conscious link disturbances on other planets. And mm. I, I, I think that um, what's important uh, is to understand the nature of cycles themselves. So, you know, like um, yes. sometimes, sometimes cycles will clock in a harmonious and synchronistic manner with each other. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes they don't. Um, and, you know, if you have a system, where, you know, say you've got a person that has their own personal cycle, and then you have the sun and other planets that have their own cycles, uh, and they might be going along just fine. You know, there's a synchronicity occurring, you know, so the person doesn't feel super agitated, you know, by gravitational changes elicited by, you know, a heavy full moon. Uh, but then other things can come up that can cause disturbances. So we could have variations in, you know, like we talked about the, uh, you know, the magnetosphere, um, different kinds of activity in the upper atmospheres. There could be also variations in the ambient magnetic field, even in the soil. There was a, a fellow named Callahan, Professor Callahan, and um, what he found was that um, there was a direct correlation between the uh, magnetic field strength in topsoil in, uh, you know, I think it was he was measuring in milligauss, um, between uh, long-standing aggressive and, you know, pacifistic behavior. So, in other words, he would find a, a very different magnetic field strength um, in Ireland, uh, in, in, say, in compared to uh, temperate countries, you know, or uh, tropical Mediterranean countries in certain cases. And he found that over time, <clears throat> as the magnetic field strength in soil changed, it had a direct effect on the collective behavior of that population. So we, we, we have a lot of different elements that can come to play. I, I, I think the question that you asked is, is an important one. And it's one that we need to look at different avenues to fully understand. Yes, we were just talking on our show recently about the emotions of the people living in an area of volcanoes and they're agitated and they're actually, when they subdue or transmute that feeling and that collective behavior, the volcanoes calm down. And the same with earthquakes. So this is interesting. This is all more of your cross-disciplinary research that you do and, and connecting the dots across all avenues and seeing these patterns. Let's talk about how we can use these then in our physical body. Let's go listen to another sample. You've got things for DNA for manifestation, spiritual attunement, and even a star portal. Let's talk about a star portal. In a lot of cases, what we're looking at is we want to try to replicate what that interstitial state uh, would be like. So the idea is, how would a person feel like if, 
So if, if a person's experiencing a certain kind of sensation, uh, how might that be mapped geometrically? And then once it's mapped and it's played back, what kind of things, you know, um, are experienced? We've had some pretty uh, out there stories from users, and um, sometimes they're pretty out there even for me. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but but some of the phenomena, um, even though it's intense, is explainable. So, like, one of the things that often happens is um, – a common experience with our users is that they have uh, a certain type of visual uh, hallucination so that they'll, they'll literally see uh, like physically actually see uh, blue sparks. Um, you know, they'll be listening to certain frequencies. One of the things that happens, especially if they're doing it audibly is they loop the, um, the tracks. And so the body becomes entrained to it. And, you know, when this first started to happen, um, I, I think it was, you know, it was pleasurable. They enjoyed it, but it was a bit freaky, and they were wondering why this was happening. Uh, and we've got a few theories um, as to why we think people are seeing uh, sparks. Sometimes they see other things, um, like mm. polygonal objects and stuff. But the star portal, this is uh, this is really a map or just sort of a sensation of a person that, you know, what they might experience in kind of like a dreamlike quality, you know, if they were traveling through something that was sort of extra dimensional. And so I would imagine that we can use these in meditation. This seems like maybe an out-of-body experience or a cosmic journey. Sure, absolutely. Okay, let's listen. fascinating the frequencies it's unlike anything that we hear in conventional music and it's frequency this is the sound of frequencies beautiful thank you let's talk about the healing aspects of these sure you've got a healing package some of these are used to change or to superimpose the model of perfect bodily function, organs, health, wellness. Yeah, what, what we wanted to do is we wanted to try to come up with, with a model that would represent 
um, when an organism was experiencing things like regeneration or recuperation. And so, you know, in the, in the early days when we first started off, the, the goal was to try to survey what an average response across a number of people would be like, and then try to come up with something that was a homogeneal averaged response that would fit most people. You're always going to have variants. Like, you know, um, it's very true to say that, you know, people have individual constitutions. Mm-hmm. And when they're using our frequencies, we find um, that in most cases, most of our frequencies work super well for about 80% of people. And then you've got a 20 percentile in there that, you know, it's, it's a great zone. Um, there's also the small degree situation over time. So as an example, some people will have uh, really intense response rates uh, very rapidly, uh, you know, with regularity. You know, other people might have a really intense reaction response to a frequency, and then it might slow down. And then what, what's happening here is it's clocking to lunar cycles. So the next time they use the frequency at a similar lunar cycle, they notice that intensity back. But for what happens with the healing frequencies, <clears throat> and again, it's important to remember that these are not FDA approved. Uh, what we've done is we've simply observed and collected reports back from users but we've seen some astounding results uh, on a regular basis. We've gotten reports back where, you know, um, we've literally had people say that, you know, they've cut their hands with a knife in the kitchen and they were upset because they were about to go on a honeymoon. And it was a good deep gash. And when they were using the frequencies, they said that the degree of accelerated healing and regeneration was beyond anything they'd experienced before. You know, we've also seen situations yeah. where people, yeah, and so this is gratifying, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we understand that the universe is created with sound, yeah, here are the frequencies. So I love that you've modeled wellness, yeah, and you're replicating wellness with the frequencies. Yeah. That's just fascinating. You are on the cutting edge. Isn't it beautiful? It, it's beautiful, and I, you know, as a science person, I mean, yeah. I, I have a creative uh, aspect to me, but I, I look at it also from utility. You know, mm-hmm. like like if it's practically useful and it feels good, then that's huge for me. You know? Yeah. Well, this is for so many things we can share. Um, our listeners can look at the special offer link and see the listing of all of the various frequencies in the healing kits. I mean, it's everything from eye and teeth and regeneration and sleep easy or the lymphatic system and brain and nerve and diabetes, DNA repair, eye healing, anti-cancer, chi strengthener. Really quite fascinating there. But you're also using this on a larger scale, a broader scale. One is ascension. And that right there is fascinating because ascension, we're all working on that. What does this mean to you, ascension, and how did you come up with these frequencies for that? If you if you talk to different people from different backgrounds, they'll often give you, you know, maybe similar comms, but there can often be um, differences in how they evaluate that. You know, like what you know what they expect, you know, um, what they imagine ascension would be. And so the approach that I took was really looking at it from the standpoint of something that would be fulfilling uh, to an individual regardless 
of what their philosophical take on it was. And what that boiled down to was a really strong sense of self-actualization, tangible form of self-actualization. But there's also this, um, there's a concept, a state in physics, uh, both Einstein condensate. And what that basically means is you have a, a superconductive medium. So uh, information can flow uh, without background resistance. Uh, so energy uh, flowing, you know, without any kind of um, t- significant resistance. So one of the things we wanted to do was model uh, something that was akin to uh, the properties of a Bose-Einstein uh, condensate type uh, sensation. So when they when they're using the ascension frequencies, uh, the idea is to give them a, a strong, tangible, energetic foundation, you know, to actually achieve, you know, something that would be in line with the common theme that most people would have with how that would feel, what that sensation would be like. I, I should also mention too that some of the frequencies have been used by healers. Uh, for quite a while by a large number of people, and we see um, some pretty profound uh, state change in biological improvement. Uh, a lot of times when people have like uh, infections or disease-type states, we get stories back about their observations of improvement. Um, some frequencies have been tested more than others, so we have more reports back. Uh, and most of the frequencies on our site have, have been ruggedly field-tested for many years. The diabetes frequencies was an experimental prototype. It's only been tested mildly. Those frequencies are provided individually for free. Um, you know, and what we do sometimes is some of our uh, if, it, if it's a, like we have gotten some pretty uh, consistent, decent feedback on the diabetes tracks, um, but this was only for class one and two diabetes, and the changes were good, um, but they weren't. Um, you know, it's, it's not like they were cured of diabetes. What they, what we got back were reports in, uh, in blood sugar balance normalization. But we've, those frequencies are free because they're still in the process of t- testing. And they also, the anti-cancer frequency itself, similar scenario, you know, individually free, uh, because that one also has not been tested thoroughly. But for those that want to get like the, you know, the well-tested, uh, the healing practitioner kits, for example, um, you know, the anti-cancer, uh, and it's actually, it's the emotions of, of what anti-cancer would feel like. That's the anti-cancer track. That one's provided with that collection as a bonus, as the diabetes ones are. So you, you really have the other tracks that are in there. But uh, um, the dental shield track, uh, we've, we've had consistent, uh, amazing benefits uh, uh, report from users not so really okay that's interesting I know that comes up a lot for people and there's a question of can you grow back teeth but this is more of a shield for in keeping the teeth healthy the reports that we've gotten back uh, for the dental shield were super interesting um, and uh, as an example uh, somebody that had an infection that they weren't even aware of they were experiencing some kind of discomfort, um, and so they started to use the dental shield. And what they found was that in a very short period of time, there was a boil or an abscess that erupted. And it sounds gross, but um, there was a bunch of uh, 
pus that erupted. And so they, they, they felt relieved afterwards. Sometimes working with the frequencies, um, you know, if you, especially if you're using it for an intense or acute condition, uh, you, you know, in mo- most cases, the, fr- the frequencies experiences are pleasurable. But if you're dealing with an acute situation, you know, it, it can be a little bit, um, uh, there can be s- certain disturbing properties with it. And as an example, uh, there's a thing called the Herxheimer reaction. Herxheimer reaction is when uh, if you have an infection that's pervasive in your body and you have a mass die-off of bacterial organisms, then what can happen is um, when those organisms die off, for a couple of days, you can have flu-like symptoms. It's not that you have the flu, but there'll be symptoms like that. And you can also get things like boils erupting. Um, this is your body trying to clear stuff out. And so for those that have ever used rife frequencies before, <coughs> it's very common. Uh, if you, if, if you're, if rife frequencies are being used to destroy a pathogenic infection, um, a Herxheimer reaction is common because when they use rife frequencies to target a very specific microorganism when it's killed, you have this dead matter that's now in your body and the body has to flush it out. And so it's a stress reaction. It's a toxicity reaction. So, you know, when you go through that, you know, you need to drink lots of water, flush it out of your system. You like you need to take it easy, that kind of thing. And a lot of times, you know, we can actually see an analogy or an analog uh, between emotional cleansing. You know, a lot of times people use our frequencies to purge um, toxic emotional states out. So if someone's dealt with uh, shock or trauma or grief, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people that are going through heartbreak. Yeah. Uh, we, we have frequencies, um, like we have an Ibogaine emulation. We have frequencies related to, uh, heart states. So if someone's gone through an intense emotional breakup and trauma and they're in shock over that, um, they can expect if they're using the frequencies properly, they can expect, uh, on average to oscillate through periods of euphoria. So deep pleasure, you know, and this this is something um, that users often uh, get attracted to because it, it, they almost I think one of the terms they use is a sonic high or a sonic crack high uh-huh. because they feel really good. Yeah, I mean it's like, if you use the frequencies right, um, it's people get really energized and they feel uh, like a kid again and they get really happy and bouncy. Um, but the other thing too is that you know if you're purging something out of your system, if it's emotional, mental baggage, um, that's the, you know, there's, there's work involved. And so what can happen is you might use the frequencies really intensely and you may literally purge afterwards. I, I had a problem with my leg a few years back. Um, and I, I didn't know what was going on with it. And I attached, uh, an electro plate to my inner thigh. Um, and I ran the frequencies overnight. And when I got up the next day, uh, I'm, this is not an exaggeration. Um, I had a boil on the inside of my thigh that was about, it must have been like three to four inches wide. And it was probably about at least a half an inch or, or more high with the big white head. It was just full of pus. Uh, and I lanced it with a big, big canvas needle. Um, and my, my leg felt fantastic after that. And I remember when I was sleeping that night, when I had the frequencies playing through that plate on my leg, 
that I had a really uh, bizarre, like itching sensation. Um, and it, it, you know, it was disturbing my sleep. I didn't know at the time what was going on, but when I woke up and I saw the boil, <laughs> I realized that, you know, something had been killed off. Right. And, and so, um, mm. yeah. So it, it, people that want to use the healing practitioner kit, um, what I would suggest is, you know, some of those frequencies are pretty powerful. Uh, and so, you know, you're going to get good results from it, but it's very important, um, to read the instructions and the how-to manual that go with it to get the best results. Good for those who are in the healing practice, chiropractic, wellness, uh, yeah. therapists and things. Okay, wonderful. Some of the other frequencies that you use are for success and motivation. And one that strikes my interest too is the, in the Ascension Primer, you've got the DNA Sweet Spin. We're going to hear a sample of this, but talk a little bit about this uh, frequency set here. Sure. Uh, that's been a long-time favorite, and, and that was one of our original frequencies. Um, the very first response that most people um, have when they first hear it is they laugh or they giggle. Good. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, now, um, I don't know if people are familiar. Uh, I'm going to guess that they are with biofeedback, uh, DSCIO, QXCI. Yes. Um, I... Uh, I've known a number of practitioners that use that device, and what's interesting is that our frequencies uh, are often detected by uh, the QXCI or SCIO. But what, what's interesting is that the device doesn't know how to interpret our frequencies. So what it does is it finds in its database a label that it finds is the most closest. And the way that it describes our frequencies is as cartoon cycles in the brain. And so we find this very uh, uh, humorous because it, it, like people that use our frequencies during or before they have an SCIO treatment, the, the, uh, that device and other uh, similar devices, they'll always detect the presence of our frequencies, but they, they'll label really? it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, when you hear DNA sweet spin, it'll have, uh, a very strange kind of cartoon quality to, uh, um, but the most of the DNA frequencies is these are signals that are designed to increase coherency. Uh, you know, basically DNA itself is a helix antenna, and so it, it's its main purpose is to store and transmit, you know, biological information. You know, to also to transduce information. So all of the DNA tracks that we've created are meant to cohere uh, the field uh, transduction and signaling in DNA. Very cool. All right, let's take a listen.
It is so fascinating just to feel what goes on in the body with each of these frequency sets. It's like that one was very sparkly and uplifting and almost takes the thought away. All thought. It was just very centering. It was very interesting. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, sometimes, you know, people react really strongly and really fast. I know, you know, I do. It's uh, as soon as it comes on. Yeah. Uh, it's gripping. I love it because it's the body in training to these frequencies. If we are imposing frequencies that are enhancing or in that case, cohering the field for our DNA, that is just exquisite. Really cool. And we can certainly feel it and it feels good. We have time for one more. Let's take a listen to the manifestation meditation. Sure. Electric Blue Fire Star. Tell us about this one. Uh, that's super intense. And um, that, that one's basically for, uh, it's a big motivational life changer. Um, uh, there, there's, we, we also have Neuro Teleportal. Uh, that's a really super intense one too. But the one that you're about to play, that's one of our most popular ones, uh, EBFS, Electric Blue Fire Star. Uh, that's a gripping one, too. Uh, you you might want to brace <laughs> yourself a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we will do the Nero teleportal as well. All right, so brace yourself. Here we go. Very interesting. That has a getter done kind of an action feel to it, right? There's like something that just feels very motivational with that. So what is the best way for folks to use this? Do you hold an intention? Do you hold your dream? Is there something to it or do you just let it be? I, uh, you know, uh, you just let it be. Um, you don't have to. A lot of people will use this when they're meditating. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but the frequencies in and of themselves, um, they're, they're the driver. 
uh, you're the passenger. And so you just, you just let them take you like where you want to. Uh, but there's certainly nothing wrong. Like, we've had lots of people write in and say that, you know, they would go in with conscious, you know, intention and they would have, mm-hmm. you know, a similar uh, experience. It might be a little bit different qualitatively, but you know, these are frequencies that unlike, uh, very much unlike binaural beats and unlike isochronic tones, unlike any other kind of, um, you know, sound based therapy, Mm-hmm. Uh, you can simply let them play without headphones in the background. Um, and you can also play them, you know, as a silent, uh, varying magnetic field. But, uh, we get, you know, most of the reports that we've had for many years, these are people that are just playing them on their stereo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the important thing to keep in mind is that our tracks do work through resonance. And so what that means is most tracks are about five to 10 minutes in length. And the, the best results when you're listening to them is to have the volume set so that you can feel the track's pulse on your skin. You know, if, if you've got it loud enough so that it's comfortable for you to hear, but you can still physically sense the tracks, you're good to go. Okay, physically feeling them. Well, this is where it gets fun because this is innovative and it's backed by your research and your scientific investigation, cross-disciplinary approach. I really do love it. It's available for all listeners to check it out and get these frequencies in their lives as well. Thank you so much for this. Your special offer is available on the webpage. We invite our listeners to check out the various options there. This has been really fascinating. Um, I really honor the scientific researcher in this and, again, love to see it bridging with consciousness and wellness of humanity and just being on the leading edge of this. It is incredible and it's going to be fun to see it get out there in the world based on the reports from people using these frequencies. Again, it cannot go wrong. It is just a frequency mapped out of wellness. And so we're going to listen to Neurotello Portal as we say goodbye and close our circle today. Oh my goodness, Don, I just want to give you a moment to wrap up our call today with some few words on the importance of this work for humanity. Well, Lauren, it was a great pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate uh, just, you know, the feedback, the the insight, the input, uh, the support. Um, The greatest benefit that this uh, tool has is to really tangibly, physically banish the monkey mind. Um, The noise and the distortion that's toxic, that gets into our mind, emotions, Mm. and body, uh, this actually really can be purged. And the, you know, the, the biggest benefit that our users and members, you know, have seen from this is, you know, for the, in some cases, for the first time, in their lives, actually being able to individually, consciously, dynamically take control in a measurable way, a practical, concrete way of not only banishing that noise, but installing the state that they want and then actually experiencing that state and benefiting from that state. Beautiful. This is really assisting us to exit the programming 
the matrix, as some like to call it, banishing the monkey mind and taking conscious control, installing the state and the benefits we wish to experience. It is beautiful work that you're doing, and I just honor you and thank you so much for that work. Thanks for this quantum conversation. And now, as we dance our way to the cosmic heart, let's enjoy Neuro Teleportal. All of this music is available in Don Adams' special offer available on this website. listening and thank you for dancing with us in our collective intentions as they go across the universe to the cosmic heart. I'd like to thank my wonderful team at AcousticHealth.com, Heidi, Tony, Tom, Pam, Suzanne, and Garner, who assist with the production of Quantum Conversations, online healing retreats, and more. And thank you, too, for listening. If you've enjoyed this program, please share it with your friends and loved ones. And we thank you for shining your magnificent light and adding it to the world. This is when we love ourselves like no one else can. We leave you now with music from the universe. 
music literally created by the universe as musical notes were assigned to mathematical equations. The result is this beautiful music available at AcousticHealth.com. Namaste.